Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. I am excited to preach this message this morning. I'm looking forward to it. Preaching and teaching on the Christmas story is one of my most favorite things to uh, be able to have the privilege to do. And we come this morning to Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1 to verse number 11. Now, I'm going to ask you to really pay attention because one, one thing that happens with familiarity is we start thinking that we already know what's going to take place because we've already heard this story before. Okay, so I want, you to, I want you to really dial in, listen, read the words with me, just, just quietly, but I'll read them out loud. You read them quietly and, and think about what the Scriptures are telling us. Verse number 2, or chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Okay, look here. It's not a long, long time ago, on the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a... Let's not talk about mice in church, okay? Let's, that's not appropriate. Okay? The Bible states... The birth of Christ as a historical fact. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. Luke chapter 2. Here, here it is again. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. So the authors of the Bible are writing it like a way of saying, you don't believe us? Drive down to the hospital. Get Jesus' birth certificate. You can see it for yourself. Call up Herod the king. Go visit Bethlehem. Here's his mom's name. Here's his dad's name. You can go see for yourself. This is what we believe about the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not a fable. It's not myth or legend. That the Christmas story really happened. God wrapped himself in flesh. He took upon him the form of a servant and entered into our world and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Christianity is built not on a set of principles, not on a set of ideas, not on just a good book. Christianity is built on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we believing everything we're about to say? Because Jesus was born, that's why. Because God became man, that's why. Now behold... There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go. And search diligently for the young child. 
And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which was which they saw in the east went before them till they came till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Think about that. Look at verse 10 again. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's quadruple joy. That's what they had when they found the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they were come into the house where they saw the young child with Mary his mother, they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Use it in our lives, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There is a lot that we do not know about the wise men. We do not know how many gifts in all that they really brought. We are told that they brought three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it could have been that they brought ten gifts and the writers of the Bible feel it necessary to only tell us of three. We do not know exactly where they were from. The best guess would be Babylon or Persia. But we don't know exactly where they were from. We just know it was east. That's where they came from. That's the direction from which they traveled. We don't know how many of them there exactly were. How many have ever seen a nativity set? How many wise men are there? All, two people have seen a nativity set, okay? If you want to get through the sermon this morning, you've got to work with me, all right? How many of you have seen a nativity set? That's a lot better. It's a lot better. How many wise men were there? There were always three of them, right? You see the nativity set? There's always three wise men, right? We even have a song, the three wise men, right? We don't know if there were actually three. Could have been, could have been 10. Could have been 20. Could have been 30. Could have, could have rolled with an entire entourage into Jerusalem. Chances are that's probably the way they, that they came in, considering that Herod called for them into his presence right away. Probably wasn't one or two guys sneaking into town looking for a long-lost relative. This would have been an entourage as they rolled into Jerusalem and Herod calls them over. Why are all you very important people here in my town? We don't know what exactly they saw. We know it was a star. We don't know exactly what that star was. We don't know which star it was. We don't know when they saw it. We don't know how long they had watched it. We don't know exactly how they knew of the prophecy that's found in Numbers chapter 24. The prophecy in Numbers 24 teaches us that a star would come out of Jacob and there they would find the Messiah. We don't know how they know this. We just know that they do. The writers of the Bible don't tell us a lot about the wise men. They don't tell us how they were dressed. They don't tell us what their names were. They don't tell us what their previous history had been. They, we don't know the dates of their death. We don't know if they were married, were unmarried. We don't know if they had children. We have no idea where they were buried. We have no information as far as that is concerned. There is a lot about the wise men that we do not know. But there is something that we do know about the wise men. This is what we do know. In fact, the Bible tells us it twice. It tells us that the wise men came 
looking to worship Christ. Look at it in verse number 2. We have seen His star in the east and are come to worship Him. Look at down verse number 8. This is Herod saying, Well, when you find Him, bring me word that I may worship Him also. So Herod knows that the wise men have come in order to worship. Look down at verse number 10. And when they saw the young child with Mary his mother, they fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped Mary. So the Bible tells us three times in these 11 verses that the, the Bible tells us three times in 11 verses that the wise men are coming to do a singular thing, and that is they are coming to worship Christ. Now this is what's remarkable. That in coming to worship Christ, in worshiping Christ, they find joy. They don't just find any joy. They find great joy. They don't just find any joy. They find great joy. And it's not just great. It's exceeding great joy. It's not just, it's not just exceeding great joy. It's exceeding great joy that has caused more rejoicing. Look at verse number 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Quadruple joy. Joy four times over. Now think about that. Because that is the promise of Christmas, isn't it? A Christmas promises that if you open this one gift, you will find joy. You will, you will find exceeding joy. You will find exceeding great joy that causes you to rejoice all the year through until that new gadget breaks. Until you drop your iPhone X. Until it goes for a swim and now it no longer works. Until that PlayStation will not load that game, right? This is what Christmas is. Christmas promises us that there is a gift out there that if you open it on Tuesday, like all true Christians are supposed to do, or if you open it on Monday, you've backslid a little bit, you're opening presents early. If you open this one singular gift, that in opening this one singular gift, well, whew, inside of this package is exceeding great joy that will cause you to continually to rejoice all throughout the year. And here's the bad news. There is no gift you will get this week that will do that. And here's how you know that. Because remember last year's gift? Where is it at now? Back of the closet. In the maintenance shop. Broken. There is no gift that you will open this week that will bring this kind of joy. Why? Because this kind of joy is only found in one place. So, Pastor, where is it found? Here's where it's found. In Christ. Only in Christ will you find this kind of quadruple joy, exceeding great joy that causes you to continually to rejoice. And this is at the heart of what the wise men are after. They are after this kind of joy. They're after worshiping Christ and in finding 
Christ and worshiping Him, they are given a joy that very few people in this room, much less the world, have ever really known. Have you ever had this kind of joy? Have you ever worshipped with a joy that is exceedingly great and continual and ongoing? Man, wouldn't you like to? And wouldn't you love to know what that kind of joy would be like? What that kind of joy would look like? What that kind of joy would play out like in 2019? That's hard to think about, isn't it? 2019 is already here. So here we have four, four ways. Number one, how we do this? How do we do this? Four ways. Number one, you have an outline so you can follow along with us. So you can write some stuff down. I want you to remember what we talked about this morning. Here we go. Number one, worshiping Christ this way. Brings exceeding great, quadruple joy into our hearts and into our lives. Why should we worship Christ then? Four, we- four reasons. Number one, because he is worthy of our attention. Because he is worthy of our attention. Look at verse number two. Saying, so the wise men are saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the wise men have seen his star. They, they lived in the east. They've seen a star in there. Now, traveling to Jerusalem, ending up at Bethlehem in order to worship this Christ who they have set their attention on. They have put their focus on. They have zeroed in and paid attention to. We don't know exactly how they know this. We know that Daniel had gone east when he was taken into exile. He went to Babylon, and there in Babylon, the Lord elevated Daniel to a position. So perhaps the wise men have come to read the writings of Daniel, and they've learned that there's a Messiah that is coming into the world, and they see his star, and they follow after him. We know that the ten tribes were taken into exile. We know that the Israelite people had, at different seasons, through different captivities, been taken east and then brought back and then taken east and then brought back. But whether it was Daniel or some other exile, some other word of mouth, they had paid attention to the prophecies that they heard about the coming Messiah. Now, paying attention, that is, that's, that's beyond just mere knowledge. That's beyond just knowing something. So they actually listened to it. They, they didn't just have the knowledge of it. They actually listened to it and then acted on it. They didn't just hear about it and then, oh, wow, we know about a star and about a coming Messiah. They actually heard there's a star, a coming Messiah, that God himself is entering into our world. And then they acted upon the knowledge that they were given, paying attention to something and knowing something are not the same thing. Look here. Paying attention to something and knowing something are not the same thing. In fact, you want to see the contrast? Look at verse number 3. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So he gathers together the chief priests, the scribes of the people. He demands of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Notice this. They didn't have to go look it up. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to search it out. No one said, find me a scroll. I don't know, Google search. I can't get any good Wi-Fi here in the middle of the palace. Let me step outside and look up where the Messiah will be born. No, they already knew where the Messiah, 
He's in Bethlehem. He's in Bethlehem of Judea because that's what the prophet said. So the wise men travel all the way from the east in order to worship Christ. And those who were experts in the knowledge of the prophets and the law are unmoved. They knew it, but they were not paying attention to it. And here are the wise men traveling from the east. They know it, but they're actually paying attention to it because they're acting on it. It's not just knowledge in their head. And knowledge, the Bible says, puffeth up, it maketh proud. Man, I'm, I'm convinced of this in our day. We have all this knowledge of what God is and God has and the characteristics that God contains, but has it affected our heart? Has it moved us? Has it shaped us? Does it change the way I parent? Does it change the way I, I husband? Does it change the way you wife? Does it change the way you befriend somebody? Is it changing the way that you interact with your coworkers in your neighborhood or at your school? Is it changing the way you handle your money? Is it changing the way you see the future? Do you just have a knowledge of God? Or actually, are you actually paying attention to Him? Because it is very, very possible to just know about God, but this knowledge about God is not changing anything about the way that you live. And we're guilty of what James says, where we've heard the word, but we've deceived ourselves because we are not doing the word also. We think that hearing the word is good enough. I went to church. It's Christmas time. I went to church. That's good enough. But we are not acting on the word. The difference between the wise men and those chief priests and scribes in Jerusalem, the wise men paid attention to it. They were moved by it. It changed them. It caused them to act. It caused them to move. It caused them to believe. It caused them to get up and do something. And the chief priests and the scribes are doing nothing. I think this is the real fight for this next week, right? The real fight for you and for me this next week is not making sure that we get everything done on our to-do list. The, the, the real fight this next week is not making sure everyone gets a present at the party. The real fight this next week is not making sure all the presents are evenly distributed among the children, right? All the moms in the room, that struggle is real, right? But the real fight this week is not making sure who's sleeping where because company's over and who's going to the house and where's this person at. And that's not the real fight. The real fight this next week is not should I or should I not finally break down and taste fruitcake. No, that's, that is not the real fight this week. No, the, the, the real fight this week is actually the big fight, the big struggle in your heart and in mine is will we pay attention to the real meaning of the incarnation of Christ? Will we pay attention to what the real meaning of Christmas is actually all about? Not that we can become gods, but that God, think of it, became man for us. Like, will we let that hit our heart on Christmas Day? 
Will we let that hit our lives this Christmas week? Will we let that, the, that knowledge, will we let it sink in, infiltrate, permeate, resonate in our own hearts? Will we let it soak deep down into us and cause ourselves to be moved by it, not just in word, but also in deed as well. Will our hearts become inflamed with the reality of what we say we are celebrating? What we say we celebrate at Christmas is that God became a man and he went to the cross and died for our sins, that we as sinful man could have a way to God. Will we let that actually inflame our hearts or will we just make it through all the Christmas festivities, right? Now that's the real struggle. That's where the real fight is. Hear me on this. Jesus is worthy of more and more and more of my attention and more and more and more of your attention and more of our attention. Jesus is worthy of our attention. Number two, Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. Look at this. Look at verse number one. Now when, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came, there came wise men from the east. Look down at verse number eight. Look at verse number eight. And when he sent them to Bethlehem, he said, go, go, search diligently. Go look for him. Go look for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship also. I love that these wise men paid attention. But hear me on this. This attention gave way to pursuit. They, they paid attention. They, they, were, they were moving, acting on it. They did something with the knowledge that they had received. It caused them to be obedient to it. They went after it. But in paying attention, there is a pursuit. There is a pursuit of Christ that flows out of paying attention to Christ. There is a pursuit of Christ that pays attention or flows out of paying attention to Christ. Don't miss the greatest miracle in this Christmas text in Matthew chapter number 2. Here's three dudes who stop and ask for directions along the way to Bethlehem. There's no dudes stop and ask for directions, especially around the Christmas season. But here they do. This pursuit of Christ flows out of paying attention to Christ. It reminds me of the story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field for which when a man hath found, he finds the treasure in the field, he hides the treasure in the field, and for the joy thereof, he goeth and he selleth all. So, so, so man, finds a treasure, he buries it in the field, he goes back home, he sells everything he has in order to gain some money so he can go buy an empty field that he knows there is a treasure in. So, so you hear what Jesus just said? He is the man who loses everything in order to gain the field. 
This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what going after Christ is like. Christ is so worthy. Christ is so excellent. Christ is so beautiful that the loss of everything to us which gains us Him is actually not a loss at all, but is joy to you and to me. He goes and He sells everything He has and He finds joy in selling everything He has. Why? Because He knows there's treasure hid in the field which He's buying. So, so hear me on this point. You have... Nothing that you will not ultimately lose. You think of it. What do you have that cannot be taken away by the end of the day today? What do you really possess? What do you really own that you cannot lose before the day is over? And some of you are like, well, pastor, I've, I've got stocks and bonds. I've got, I've got commodities. I've been saving silver. But, but hear me, listen. Somebody, you're going you're to pass silver on to your grandkids. Listen, somebody down your family lineage is going to be an idiot. <laughs> and they're going to take, they're going to take all of your hard work and they're going to sell it for a quarter at a garage sale. Right? They're going to have this silver that you invested in, and they're going to go, oh, Xbox 1700, I've got to have it. And they're going to give away silver so they can go buy whatever Xbox 1700 will be at that time, right? Everything you hold valuable, where is it moving to? What's it headed toward? It's headed toward the dump or the garage sale. That's it. Everything you have. No, not this family heirloom. My grandkids couldn't possibly. Yes, they could. And yes, they will. There's, there's nothing that you have. There's nothing that you own. There's nothing in your possession that in the end you do not lose. That in the end is not taken away. That in the end you don't get to put in the casket and take with you. There's nothing you have that's like that. All the promises of joy, all the promises of you have this and life is good, all the promises of December to remember, you really want it to be a good Christmas? Buy them a car, which breaks down, and you have to fix, and you have to insure, and you have to put gasoline in, no, solar, and you have to plug up. There's, there's no... There's no gift like this. There's only one, and his name is Christ. And he alone is worthy of our full pursuit, which is to say, sell everything you have and go hard after Christ. Go after him. You say, wow, that's a, that's a discouraging Christmas message. Merry Christmas, children. All your toys are going to end up in the landfill. Enjoy. <laughs> but not so with Christ. Next week, everything else goes back into the box. Next week, all the lights come down. For some of you, next month. <laughs> For some of you, they don't come down at all. But they get unplugged. 
All the carols go away, but not Christ. We'll still be praising Christ's name. You can't take him down. You can't put him in the box. Christ alone is worthy of your pursuit. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because he alone in the end is the only one that you can. The only thing you have in this life that you cannot lose before the end of the day today is your relationship with God. You can lose your mind. You can lose your health. You can lose relationship. You can lose your job. You can lose your house. You can lose your car. You can lose your keys. You can lose all of that. You might even lose your life. But those who've gone after Christ, even the loss of life is actually gain. You actually win. Why? Because you went after Christ. Pursue Christ. He's worthy of our pursuit. He's worthy of our attention. Number three, He's worthy of our faith. Now hang with me here. Because when you, when you read the Bible, I always want to encourage you, when you read the Bible, just read it for what it really is. This is a real story. This is historically accurate. This really happened. And it's easy for you and me to read this like it's a, like it's a fairy tale, like it's a fable. But, but put yourself in the position of these wise men. You have these wise men traveling from the east who all they have is some shadow of, of a knowledge of a Messiah coming into the world. And with this shadow of the knowledge of Messiah, they don't know anything else about him except he's coming and they heard about him through some other way, through some other person, and now they're, they're putting everything on the line. Like they put all their wealth on. They, they loaded up their, their beast of burden and they traveled all the way to Jerusalem, headed toward a star. Like in, and surely there's some moment in their journey toward the star where, where one of them looks at the other and goes, Bill, are you sure about this? Like, what'd your wife say? You, you, think, this is a, this, you think this was actually, are we crazy? Like we're following a star. Is this, is this actually worth it? And yet, look at verse 2. Where is he born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. So it was faith that brought them to Jerusalem. It was faith that brought them to Bethlehem. And when they show up at Bethlehem and they walk into the house, what did they see? The, the king of glory sitting on his throne, yoked up in power, standing there flexing his muscles. The king of glory showed up. Is that what they found? No, they found a young child and his mom. This, this is the king of glory who's going to slaughter the nations. This is the king of glory who reigns eternal. This is the king of glory who's from the seed of David and, and whose, whose throne there is no end. This is the king of glory. I think that's evident in what they gave the baby, right? They walk in, they have these gifts, and Mary goes, well, did you bring anything? And they go, yeah, we brought him some presents. What'd you bring him? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. 
Like, give your children that on Tuesday and see how happy they are. Here's some frankincense and myrrh. If you rub it on your temples, you will become a professional athlete and a baby genius, right? All the essential oil people are like, see, it's in the Bible. And they come in and they give them, they give them gold. Who gives a baby gold? It's like a life insurance policy. Oh, life insurance policy for you. Wonderful. He's a toddler. He just wants paper. He'll just eat the paper. He doesn't even want anything else. But in the end, they by faith travel from the east and they show up at the house and their faith is made sight. And the wise men are justified by the word of God and history as we look back into their story and we go, wow, it was an amazing process. Like, how did they have that much faith? Look, 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 here's why, this, here's why I'm pushing on this. Watch. Because there's about 90% of my life where I go, the Lord's got this. I got, I'm good. I'm not worried about how that plays out. It's not keeping me up late at night. I'm not stressing over how this relationship goes. I'm not stressing over how this, when this money comes in. I'm not stressing over what, how this plays out with this family. I'm not stressing over anything at the job or with the office. I'm not stressing over this deal that may or may not happen. About 90% of my life, I'm going, I know God's good. I know God's in control. I know God loves me. I'm good. But there's about 10% of the areas of my life where I go, Lord, I'm just really hanging on to this. because, Like, I believe you with all this other stuff, but now I don't know if I can, I don't know how to let go of this. These are my kids. Okay, okay, Lord, I trust you with all this, but this was like, this was my 20-year plan. Okay, Lord, I'm like, I trust you with that, but, but these were my dreams. Anybody, anybody else there? It's a beautiful story in Mark chapter number 9 about a man who has a demonically possessed son. He, the man approaches Jesus and says, can you do something for my son? He's throwing himself into the fire and he's throwing himself into the water and he's throwing himself into the fire and he's throwing himself into the water. And he's completely out of control. No one can help him. And Jesus responds to the man and he says, if you believe, all things are possible. Remember that story? And in Mark chapter number 9, verse number 24, the man gives this answer to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. What a great answer. I, I, I know you're Lord of all, and I know you purchased me with your blood, and I know you're the eternal king from, from who has no, no beginning and no end. I know you rule over all, but I, I can't make sense of this situation right now. And I'm trying to put all these pieces together, and I don't, I don't know how this works out. Oh, that answer helps me. Lord, I, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I just got to think that at some point, these wise men were traveling they just go, is this, is this really it? 
Which is why the Bible calls us in the book of Romans, tells us in the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. You see, if the Christmas story gives us any hope, if it gives us any anchor, if it gives us any foundation, it gives us this foundation. That regardless of all of life's circumstances, God and God alone is worthy of your faith. Like for you, maybe this year, you're, you're just saying, Pastor, look, forget about the presents. I'm just, I'm just trying to keep the lights on in my house. Like forget gifts. I'm just trying to pay the bills. Listen, this will anchor your soul. God is worthy of your faith. If you're going, well, forget 2019 and future plans. Like, I, got, I just got really bad diagnosis last week from my doctor. Listen, listen. This will anchor your faith. God is worthy of your faith. If you're going, yeah, I'm headed into Christmas without my loved one for the first time ever, that's hard. That's difficult. I understand. But listen, God is worthy of your faith. There are not very many people in this world who are trustworthy, but God is. And here are the wise men. They put on their wealth, they get on their beast of burden, and they travel all the way from the east. And there's got to be something in them that goes, ah, I believe. Okay, I know God's good, and I know God loves me, and I know he died for me on the cross, and I know he purchased me with his blood, and I know he oversees all things in my life. I know he works all things for good. Woo, I believe, Lord. But help my unbelief. Because there's this 10% of me that I'm really struggling with this. And the Christmas story says, you can trust God. You can believe him. You can bank on him. Now, everything else in life may tumble, may fall, may go up, may go down. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The image is the sun goes over and then the, the shadow moves. Well, in God, there's no variableness or shadow of turning. God doesn't change. He doesn't move. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is powerful. Our God is infinite. And with him, all things are possible. And your faith is never misplaced when your faith is placed in God Almighty. You place your faith anyplace else and it's misplaced. You place your faith in your health. You place your faith in your job. You place your faith in politics. You place your faith in a person. You place your faith in a relationship. You place your faith in your stocks, in your bank account. You place your faith anyplace else. It is vulnerable. It is suspect. But faith placed in God is never misplaced faith. The Christmas story says, He's worthy of our faith. I gotta be done. Number four, he's worthy of our gifts. Now stay with me, because some of you who 
you don't come often to church, or perhaps you aren't a believer at all. Some of you just went, ah, I knew he was going to talk about gifts. I knew they were going to talk about that money stuff. No, 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 stay with me. It's much, much more. Listen, God is after so much more than your money. It's worse than you think. Because he doesn't just want your money. He wants all of you. Heart, soul, mind, strength. And he's worthy of it. They listened to it in verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. They fell down. They worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, frankincense, myrrh. Listen to it in 1 Peter chapter 4. You can read it for homework this afternoon. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10, verse number 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it to the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's to say this. God has given you a unique set of gifts. God has intrinsically wired you, built you, crafted you, made you to be, to do, to work, to serve where he has placed you, whether that's the job or the family or that relationship with those friends. God has uniquely, intrinsically wired you, built you, placed you there for his own purposes and for his own good reasons. And he desires for you to use the gifts that he's given to you for his honor and for his glory. I told you it was worse than you thought. Let's just say this. In, in this. We have some great teachers at First Baptist. We have wonderful, wonderful teachers in this room. And one of the great ironies of life, one of the things that God has intrinsically wired, one of the ways that God has intrinsically wired me is that I really like to talk. So what always got me in trouble at school, David, stop talking. You're too loud. No more. Listen to the teacher. That's a detention. One of the things that always got me in trouble when I was a little kid. Then when I got older, people were like, well, this guy really likes to talk and he's passionate. Give him a microphone. Let him tell us about Jesus. What used to get me detentions, now I get paid to do. This is it's wonderful. And this is what God has done me, but God is doing something else in you. God has gifted you. God has wired you. God has built you. God has crafted you in a way. And then he has set you in a place, in a time. He's given you that family. He's given you those children. He's given you that office. He's placed you in that neighborhood. And God has done that in you and with you for a purpose. For a reason. It's what I, this is what I believe. God has strategically placed me here in Long Beach at this church 
for a reason, and you go, wow, we do too, Pastor. But listen, I believe that not just about me. I believe that about you. This is not a one-way street. The church is not one guy. This is, it's, a, it's a body. I, just, I get to be the mouth because I like to talk. Okay? But we can't all talk. That's my job. If you want to talk, you go find another church. I like this one. But that isn't to say where you just come and you sit. Oh, well, well Dave does the talking. We do the sitting. It's a great relationship. We do the napping. He gets to get out there, be all passionate, work out whatever frustrations he had through the week. I get to catch up on the nap before I head home. No, 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 no. God has given you unique gifts for his honor, for his purpose. He strategically placed you here in this church, in this city, at that job, with those kids, with that wife, with those relatives, for his own good reason. And then he asks you this. Now use all that I'm doing in your life for my honor and for my glory. He's saying, now, now work out of that so that men may see your good works and think you're really special. No, no, no. So that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, church, we're supposed to serve this city in a way that causes all the city to look at us and go, wow, those people at First Baptist, I mean, they're a little weird, and their pastor really likes to be loud and passionate, but, man, they really love us. And they're making a difference. And they're helping the needy, and they're feeding the poor, and they're telling people the good news of Jesus and they're making a difference and families are being put back together and homes are being helped and things are being done I mean, for his name's sake that's why I mean I, I hope I get 2019 but none of us are guaranteed 2019 and life is a vapor it appears for a little time and vanishes away and here it is we're, we're, we're done You spend maybe 75 years on this earth. If you're lucky, you get 75 years. Some of you get more, most of us get left, less. I've done far more funerals for people under the age of 75 than people over the age of 75. It, just look around the room. We have some wonderful silver-haired saints in the room, and we're thankful for each and every one of them, and we need them. But most of us aren't there yet. You get, you get 75 years in this life, but you spend millions and millions and millions of years someplace other than right here. You want quadruple joy? You want exceeding great joy that causes you to rejoice continually? Then here it is. Live for what matters there and not what matters here. Go pursue Christ. Go 
after him, pay attention to him, live for him, use all the strength and opportunities and position and resources that God has given to you for him there. Live for there, not for here. And in doing so, you will find exceeding, great, abundant joy that causes you to rejoice over and over and over again. Why? Because God alone is worthy of it. Not you, not me. Just him. Oh, that's my, my deep desire for you. For you individually, specifically, thinking of your name right now. It's my deep desire for you individually, but it is my desire for us corporately. I believe 2019 will be one of the greatest years in the history of our church as we pursue Christ. Go after Him and leverage all that we are for Him, not for us. How many say, Pastor, that's what I want too. That's what I pray for too. Me too.